everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Weigel. And every weekend we're here, we're doing life together, and as always, we're just really glad that you've joined us. Dr. Linda, it's only been a week, and it's the weekend again. I know. It's great. It's time for our show. It works like that every week. <laughs> it does. It's kind of predictable. <laughs> it's nice to have something predictable in this very unpredictable time, that right? Is, that is very, That's very right. true. Well, today we have a special guest on the program. It's Dr. Fred de Blasio. Dr. de Blasio is a friend and a fellow academic of Dr. Linda's, and uh, he specializes in working with narcissistic personality disorders, and we'll explain exactly what that is. Uh, But first, welcome back to the show, Dr. de Blasio. And the last time you were on the show, I was out of town, so... It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's good to meet you by uh, by phone here and on the radio. Well, let me give you a little bit, just a little background about Dr. Fred de Blasio. He's a licensed clinical social worker, and he's a professor in the School of Social Work at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. He's a noted author, a researcher, and a therapist known for his writing and clinical work on forgiveness. But you've done a lot of work over the years with uh, couples and people that are diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. Yes, uh, over the years, uh, in fact, it makes up such a large portion of the people who are coming in for therapy. Well, Dr. de Blasio, we've begun to unpack this. Let's just get right into it. Uh, We hear people say, oh, he's a narcissist. What do they mean when they say this? Well, it depends. If they're just using the word in its common sense, then it just means he's self-centered. But if they're using it in a diagnostic sense, there are nine symptoms that we look for uh, that they must have five in order for them to be a true narcissistic personality disorder. Can you go through those symptoms for us and, and tell us what we need to look for? First of all, even before you consider the symptoms, you have to ask yourself, Uh, Has this person had this particular kind of uh, problem all their life? Uh, And if you find that, you say to yourself, you know, this sort of began when they were 50 years old, then it can't be a personality disorder. Personality disorder means that it's part and parcel to who you are as a person. Generally, uh, we really don't like to diagnose uh, adolescents or kids with uh, narcissist personality disorder, but from a young adulthood on, they must have had these symptoms. I'll go through uh, the nine of them, and remember, you only need five, and they need to be pervasive. They can't be something that just pops up, you know, once in a while. One of the things that you're talking about that uh, people will ask about is that it has to be enduring. It has to be this persistent pattern that you see, and I think that's one of the reasons why we don't diagnose that in childhood, correct? Because we just haven't had enough time to see these patterns developing. Exactly. And then, you know, when someone's going through their teen years, I mean, what's the difference between being a teen and perhaps having a personality? (laughs) You're a little self-centered at that point anyway, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know I was. uh, I'm glad no one diagnosed me. So, uh, well, the first one of those symptoms is a grandiose sense of self-importance. And by the way, as you, uh, for your listeners, if they think there is someone that perhaps they feel might be a narcissistic personality disorder, situation. They could be thinking of that person right now, and that will help them kind of remember these particular things we're going through. Not that they should diagnose that person, but just so that they're familiar with what's involved. The second one is they have this uh, fantasy of uh, unlimited success and power and brilliance. The third one is that they're special and unique and that they can only be understood by high-status people The fourth one is they require excessive admiration. 
The fifth one is a sense of entitlement. The sixth one is they take advantage of people and they're interpersonally exploitative. The seventh one is they lack empathy. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, I see that in almost every single case, they lack empathy. Let me just explain that a little bit. They don't completely lack empathy. Uh, in other words, they can be very empathetic and loving at times. But for the most part, especially with the ones they love the most, in the majority of the times, lack real empathy for them. They tend to be jealous and envious. That's the eighth one. And then there's halty behaviors or attitudes, and that's the ninth one. So again, you're looking, uh, do they have a pervasive maladaptive pattern of these things over time, at least from a, a young adulthood on, uh, where they have five or more? that they're known for. So if, the, if somebody's listening to this and they're, you know, they're thinking of the person like you asked them to do, I thought that's a great way to, to do this. And they're going, oh yeah, check number one, two, three, four, five. Well, maybe there's even six and seven here going on. Should they go to that person and say, hey, I was listening to this doctor today on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. And I just want to tell you, you probably have narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Well, I tell you, especially if that's a family member, uh, one you love, uh, that's not a really good idea. Uh, It will just evoke anger uh, in them, frustration. Uh, They'll feel like you don't understand. Because remember, in their brain, they really are self-important, and they're often misunderstood, they believe. And you're just going to be calling them names, and they're they're very insecure people. I mean, that's a highlight. That's not one of the criteria, but they're very sensitive and insecure. Uh, And so sometimes one of the worst things you could do is uh, say, well, I'm going to help this person through this by giving them my diagnosis of them. It causes a lot of defensiveness. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it, too, in practice where people will say, well, we were having another fight. He was not being empathetic to me, and I just flat out called him a narcissist, and I said, that's what you are. This is who you are, so um, you need to get some help. And you're saying that's not a good strategy for people to do, right? No, that's not a good strategy, especially if it really is narcissism. They're not going to learn. You see, the hallmark of a personality disorder, whichever one it is, but especially narcissism, they don't learn from the consequences of their behavior. So you pointing out the consequences of their behavior or their symptoms, uh, it will only cause them to uh, have you be in an all-black category, so to speak. In other words, you're really not a good guy anymore, that you don't like them. And then once they get into that dark track about you, things can actually be worse than what they were before. Dr. de Blasio, this is where I would step in as the layman in this situation and ask you, uh, what exactly is a personality disorder? Well, a personality disorder has to do with, first of all, let's start with what I mentioned, that that these are people who don't learn from the consequences of their behavior. They repeat the same mistakes over and over. And then what really tells it apart is from just the average person having a problem is that this is pervasive. It's maladaptive. It's lasted for a long time. Uh, And so those are the general features that a person needs to meet even before you go over the specific categories. But then there are um, a number of these, about 11 in the uh, diagnostic manual, and narcissistic personality disorder is one of those. And to have it, you have to have the five symptoms that 
uh, again, it should be a qualified professional who actually makes the diagnosis, but that they have to have at least of those five symptoms. If they only have two or three, technically, we don't consider them as having a personality disorder. Maybe what Chris is getting at here is there's different types of personality disorders that people can have. So sometimes you hear the term borderline personality disorder or histrionic or someone who's maybe um, dependent personality disorder. So narcissistic personality disorder is just one of the categories based on those nine symptoms that you gave us that helps you kind of distinguish between here's a person person who has those endearing patterns and is it's interfering in their relationships and maybe in their life it's causing distress for people around them it's having a big impact on their relationships and these are the symptoms of that that would distinguish it as being narcissistic versus some other type of uh, personality disorder that's right and and in fact uh, you mentioned a few that actually cluster together in other words uh, we look at clusters Technically, the ones you've mentioned are cluster B, as in boy, and that would be histrionic, one who makes mountains out of molehills, and one who actually has a a very flamboyant kind of life. Then there is what most of your listeners would know are the antisocial personality disorder, and uh, our prisons are filled with people who've committed crimes who are anti-personality disorder, and then the other one is borderline. Here's the interesting thing about borderlines. <laughs> when they look for a mate and a partner in life, guess who they find? We're going to guess the per- <laughs> narcissistic personality disorder. Yes, <laughs> That's <yeah>. right. <laughs> and part of being borderline sometimes is the self-sabotage. And sometimes they will light a fire under a narcissist and then uh, experience the uh, problems that come from that in the defensive response. And then, of course, narcissistic personality disorder is the fourth one in this cluster. And it's important to point out to your listeners that this is a pandemic kind of problem. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is that the research shows that 50% of the clinical population, people who come into therapy, are personality disorder. Wow. And the other 50%, a number of them are coming into therapy because they are living with someone with a personality disorder. They were raised by a parent who may have had borderline and narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder. So there's a whole slew of, of harm and damage that's caused. 10 to 20% of the normal population. So if you're at a church, for example, and you have 100 people in your church, probably 10 will have a personality disorder. And these are the people where the symptoms basically are like squeaky wheels that need a lot of oil, a lot of problems, a lot of dysfunction will occur. But that's part and parcel to being in the normal population. Which is why we're talking about this today, because living with somebody with one of these personality disorders is very difficult sustaining a relationship, having an intimate relationship is really tough, and you need to know how to respond to this. So that's one of the ways we want to go with this is what is motivating this and what creates somebody to behave this way. So stay with us more after the break in just a moment. Conflict is a part of every healthy relationship. How you deal with conflict is what will either grow or destroy relationships. Do you avoid? Maybe you become highly emotional and then regret what you said or did. Getting control of our emotions is not always easy, but it is possible. 
Hi, this is Dr. Linda Mintel, and I wrote the book, We Need to Talk, in order to help all of us deal better with conflict. We Need to Talk, available at bookstores and online where books are sold. Dr. Linda, one of our listeners asks this question. Sometimes I'm so overcome with worry and anxiety that I, I think I'm losing my mind. Seems I've tried everything from drugs to meditation. Why doesn't anything work? Well, I'm so sorry that your life seems so unmanageable and overwhelming. Too often, though, it does seem nearly impossible to live in peace and contentment because of all the craziness in our world. Did you know that God's plan for handling worry is so simple and yet so perfect that you can begin using it today? Did you know that starting right now, you can begin to cultivate a worry-free life? These aren't pie-in-the-sky promises. They're God's prescription for you to thrive and to soar past your anxiety and worries. Try this. The next time you begin to feel overwhelmed by life's pressures and worry clouds your mind with negative thoughts and depression, say what King David prayed. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Remind yourself that my heart trusts in him and I am helped. I have so much more good news for you. I hope you'll find it in my book, Letting Go of Worry. Thanks, Dr. Linda. Now that's great advice. You can find God's plan for your peace and contentment in Dr. Linda's book, Letting Go of Worry. It's available wherever you buy your books online. Welcome back to the Dr. Linda Mental Show. And today's topic is dealing with narcissists. And we've got a lot more to talk about. But before we move on, I want to remind you to check out Dr. Linda's website, drlindamental.com. That's where you'll find her blogs, books, and you can connect on social media. And remember, an easy way to know what she's writing about each day is to follow her on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. Linda Mental. And you can listen to this program as a podcast on iTunes. That's right. You can hear Dr. de Blasio talking about narcissism. And with those statistics he gave us, Chris, in the last uh, segment, there's a lot of people that are struggling with this problem and a lot of people who are dealing with people that have these issues. So help us understand how this happens, how it develops, what are some of the underlying causes that creates this type of disorder in people? Well, I tell you, this has been a debate question for you know over a century. What causes personality disorder? And I've always treated it uh, what I call an emotional and interpersonal dyslexia. Hmm. And what that is, is the brain just doesn't work right uh, especially when it comes to emotions and interpersonal relationships. For the last 20 years, the neurologists have been studying narcissism and borderline, but it hasn't really crossed over into the psychological field for treatment. There are actually neurobiological brain dysfunctions that are going on when compared to normal controls uh, in the brain of someone, for example, that has narcissistic personality disorder. And that's really important. I, I want to kind of highlight what you're saying, and then you can give us a little more explanation on that. Because when you understand that somebody's brain has been changed or that there is some kind of chronic brain dysfunction, whether it's the way the brain connects and some of the structures in the brain change, it does help us have a little bit more compassion for the person. Correct. You have compassion, and also you know not to invest a lot of negative defensiveness mm. into the interaction. There are times when you bring subjects up and times when you don't. There are times to love the person. There are times that, you know, you withdraw and then come back with love. So there's all kinds of things that someone dealing with someone who has a personality disorder, they definitely have to get out of their mind the person's normal. 
or that they would become normal if only I could lecture them or tell them over and over again how problematic they are. That's good. So they should understand that their brain is functioning maybe a little bit differently and that there are going to be very specific ways that they need to interact. So what's happening in the brain that's a little bit different? Well, one of the biggest things is uh, we have something called the amygdala, which is the response system, the responder to everything around us. And that sends messages to the brain, the prefrontal cortex. Well, the prefrontal cortex regulates your feelings. And we find that the signaling force that's going up to give information to the prefrontal cortex, let's say this, it's leaking. It's not the full impact is not getting there. And as a result, it leaks when it comes back when there's uh, regulation. So in other words, if I'm really, really angry, I don't really have to worry about just shouting at somebody because my brain automatically sends messages to me that says, hey, calm down, think through, wait to express your anger. And so with somebody that has the narcissistic personality disorder, that function isn't happening in the same way. That's what you're saying? Exactly. And the more excited they are and the more defensive they feel, then if you try to confront them uh, with the the same kind of uh, surge that they have, going on inside them and you're surging, uh, it only exacerbates the problem. And so neurobiologically, they're not getting the signaling force. It's It's been interfered with. How does that relate to then the empathy that we're talking about? So their signaling is different. They're not really having that emotional regulation or they're thinking that they're behaving in an okay way based on some of the things that are happening in the brain. But how does that then impact also that empathy that you were saying that happens in intimate relationships. One of the bigger functions related to what we're talking about from the prefrontal cortex is empathy. Empathy is something that it's hard to express. There's a, there's a conscious piece. We have to work at it. I know that. But God designed us actually to have automatic responses that are empathetic. So if we see somebody hurting, our brain just automatically sends it to our heart, so to speak, Uh, to express empathy and even support and love. And so the part of the brain that is not signaling correctly is empathy. Is that something that somebody can learn? Is that something that, you know, there's some hope that it's not going to just, I'm not going to live with this person for the rest of my life who's never going to understand how I feel or pay attention to that? Well, what's interesting is some of the treatment I have been doing using this emotional and interpersonal dyslexia theory What I do, I can't go through the whole thing, but one is I really try to connect in a strength-based way with the person with narcissism, and um, really, uh, they feel my empathy, and they feel my love for them, and they feel the love of Christ within me, that it's very powerful. And then I say, look, you know, this is very similar to an academic learning disability. Now, let's be clear, uh, having narcissistic personality is not an academic learning disability. (laughs) There are no accommodations. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's many people who who do quite well with academic learning uh, disabilities, but first they have to say, you know, I have uh, a learning disability. And so what I'm telling you, meaning the client, I say I'm telling you that uh, it seems like you have this neurobiological problem. And the only way that you can correct it is when you feel any emotional surge, we work on ways to calm it and don't trust it. And there's other things that we do. Now, here's the good news. If they do that, they generally are more predisposed to then uh, do the right thing 
And if they do the right thing often enough, there's something called neuroplasticity. They're actually a rebuilding pathways that are more solidified and make them more efficient at the things they were deficient in. So you actually develop neural pathways. Yeah, they're learning. They're learning a new way to respond, and if they practice that over and over, they can have a new response. So you can learn to be more empathetic. It just takes a lot longer from uh, the work that I've done with people with these disorders. Dr. de Blasio or Dr. Linda, when a patient gets to the point where they understand that, hey, I am possibly narcissistic here, what's the typical response? How do they normally receive that information? Well, again, uh, I do think it needs to come from a professional therapist, and it has to be one that has the, uh, the belief that the problem that they're having is not just a deep flaw in character. Don't get me wrong. These things come out as flaws in character, but something is going on in the brain, and that um, the brain has to be rewired and retrained. People really buy that. I remember one man who said to me, you know, my wife has always called me a narcissist and other people call me a narcissist and it just made me angry and I didn't know even what they were talking about. And he said, but when you've explained it to me, I can see that now and I'm willing to undergo this kind of treatment. I think the power of your relationship with them, where you're calm, you're loving, you said you're modeling that type of empathy for them. It's hard when you're living with somebody to be in that position all the time. You know, your partner is not a paid therapist. And so uh, it makes a big difference when you've got a therapist in there going, I'm going to work you through this. It's a you know brain thing that we're working on. We can retrain the brain. We can relearn. I'm going to be with you through this journey. So I would just strongly support that notion that if you want to help somebody who's having a problem with narcissism, that you should send them. I mean, and don't send them to a therapist, but you should really strongly encourage that this is kind of beyond what I can really help and understand. I want to, but I would. it would be probably better if we got a professional person involved in this type of help. Yes, and actually be willing to go with the person. And uh, like if it's a couple, go as a couple and have, try to find yourself a therapist who does believe the, about the neurobiological information. Here's another curveball. Remember that some people who are the victims, say, of this may have a personality disorder themselves. And so, you know, they've got to be willing to go in and hear perhaps from a therapist, a diagnostic perhaps label that they may end up with (laughs) uh, that might be something like borderline. I want to ask you about some of the treatments when we spend time in the last segment. In particular, we want to start with the role of medication in treating somebody with uh, narcissistic personality disorder. So stay with us. More with Dr. de Blasio right after the break. Some days, I simply have to fight discouragement. When those days come, I like to read the Psalms and meditate on the cure for my discouragement. Take Psalm 103, for example. David, feeling discouraged, talks to himself in a way that uplifts his soul. He tells his soul to bless the Lord and to remember the benefits of serving God. David wrote this psalm to encourage himself in the Lord, something I know I need to do regularly. Instead of focusing on all of his problems, David decided to engage his will and rehearsed the goodness of God. He begins the psalm by blessing the Lord. Then he speaks to his soul and reminds himself of all that God does for those who are faithful to him. So when you feel discouraged, do what David did and encourage yourself in the Lord. It will transform that discouragement to praise and gratitude. 
You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and Dr. Linda has written numerous books that you can find on her website or online, drlindamental.com. And remember, you can listen to our podcast anytime on iTunes. And if you think this show uh, may be helpful to someone you know, tell them about the podcast. And also let them know about Dr. Linda's book, We Need to Talk. In that book, Dr. Linda addresses the issues involved in conflict with a narcissist. Before the break, we were wanting to talk a little bit about medication. Can you tell us sort of what the thinking is about using med- a medication approach with someone who has narcissistic personality disorder? One part of personality disorder, especially the ones we've been talking about, this cluster B, three of the symptoms that tend to see a lot of is anger, obviously, depression, and anxiety. And sometimes, again, a medication needs to be evaluated by a psychiatrist, can only be prescribed by a psychiatrist. And perhaps there are at times some uh, what's called SSRIs, which is a uh, antidepressant medication, can be helpful in perhaps calming some of the depression and the anxiety especially. But outside of that, there really is no medication for personality disorder that will cure it or eliminate the symptoms. It really does have to be a consistent psychotherapeutic approach. Yeah, so very different from something like bipolar disorder where medication is very important in terms of um, helping the person with that disorder. This one, the first-line treatment, is not medication. It's actually the therapy that you do and the, the way that you deal with people, not only individually, but also you're a marriage and family therapist like I am. We work with couples, try to get the whole system involved when we're dealing with somebody. So what is the type of work that you do then with people that are dealing with this disorder? Well, there's, you know, there's the approach that we've been talking about, and that is retraining and rewiring the brain. And it does take consistency. It does take uh, help from the family. The other thing I do is with family members to get them out of the circle that they uh, get involved in. You know, oftentimes someone with narcissistic personality disorder, you're often in these uh, antagonistic responses to one another. And when you have that escalating anger and, and surges going on between two people, so we actually involve family members in it as well then you need a place where the person can actually feel love and feel understanding and where you can get you know beside the person and you can actually talk about and be empathetic with the things that they're struggling with these are people who are very insecure very sensitive low self-esteem even though they come off as being very haughty they really do have low uh, self-esteem and it's hard for them to tolerate the things that are going on in the world around them Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. de Blasio. You obviously are somebody that has a lot of expertise in this area. We appreciate you, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Well, listen, we've come to the end of our time together, and hopefully we have given you a lot to think about. Many thanks to our producer, Norm Mintel, our engineer, and my co-host, Chris Weigel, who makes the show a conversation. From all of us here at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you again next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're here, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. 
Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.